Greetings and salutations, everybody out there across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, your humble host, Michael Shibley, with you for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators. Good to be back in the booth recording, talking sports with you guys. Of course, we've got a huge show coming for you. Playoff pigskin galore. The college football season just wrapping up and postseason in the NFL is just getting started. Huge episode and, of course, big wrestling news and none of it specifically having to do with the WWE. So all that great awesomeness to behold. And of course me, Michael Shibley, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting here with you for the ride. And of course you are listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Of course you can check out everything at stagediverradio.com. You can check out all the other great shows we've got there including Haffle, J&B's DLC, Deadbeat Radio, and more. There's a nice media player right there. And of course the big thing you can always do as always, please like, subscribe, share, comment, give us those reviews, comment and review. It helps us get the word out to everybody else so you can follow along and grow this audience and make it bigger and badder than ever. We can use your support there. Call the hotline 865-888-0109 to voice your concern. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. You can check me out on Instagram as well. Also, you can check out the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page where we've got news articles and videos and live stuff that we do there as well. So we've got all that right there for you to interact with me, your humble host, as always. So check us out there. But let's get into the big things going on in the world of sports. And of course, here in Tennessee, it's playoff pigskin. And wow, that was a result of the college football championship game between Alabama and Clemson as Clemson just blows out Alabama 44-16, a 28-point win. Just amazing when it thinks about it. The worst loss Nick Saban has had as coach of Alabama in terms of deficit. That Louisiana Monroe loss in his first season, still probably the biggest head-scratcher you can think of, but wow, You've ne- I've never seen a Nick Saban-coached Alabama team dominated like that. Nobody ever has. Usually, when Alabama loses, it's just because of great play from you know Cam Newton or Deshaun Watson or something like that happening, or the kick six. It's not just utter domination on all sides of the ball like what happened in Santa Clara as Clemson now wins their second national championship under Dabo Sweeney and the second in three years and Clemson being the first team since the AP poll era started in 1936 to finish 15 and 0 which is just amazing hats off as always we talk about winners first here on modern day gladiators and what happened to them just amazing I mean you look at Freshman Trevor Lawrence, 347 yards and three touchdowns. That was just amazing. And, of course, the head-scratcher, as always, when it comes to Tennessee fans, when you think about Trevor Lawrence, he wanted to come to Tennessee. He wanted to come here. But he didn't want to run Butch Jones's offense and all that, so just another thank you to Butch Jones as he goes about and he gets there. That's great seeing Butch Jones is looking longly at a national championship trophy that he still won't get even though he was a consultant or whatever the heck his job was at Alabama. And, of course, T. Higgins, the great wide receiver for Clemson, he's from right here in Knoxville. He went to Oak Ridge. He's right here in this area, 
just a stone's throw from where I'm speaking right now. And he went to Clemson. So you look at some of those and it's like, what happened? Thanks, Butch Jones, for all of that. But really, just amazing performance by Clemson. Just doing everything right. So many ways. It was just amazing to see Clemson phenomenal on third down. They were 10 of 15 on third downs. And they just punished Alabama on defense. Yes, it was a crazy first quarter. It was back and forth to start the game. I mean, it started out with a pick pick six. Tua Tungavailoa getting picked, and it ran all the way back for a touchdown. And then you figured Tua settled down through a long bomb for a touchdown pass to get Alabama to even the score up. And you thought, okay, things have been righted. But after Alabama got their 16th point, Clemson just rolled from there. It was... Just amazing. And again, Lawrence, he was amazing. 20 for 32 and 18 for 25 for 277 yards over the final three quarters. It was amazing to see. And you would think about him taking over for a very, I think, very good quarterback. I think Mizzou's going to get a really good quarterback in Kelly Bryant, uh, the transfer from Clemson. And even in his first start, he got injured and Clemson's even third, pretty much third-string backup had to come in and win that game against Syracuse. Syracuse pretty much should have won that game. But after that, Trevor Lawrence came in and was just phenomenal all season long. Alabama and Clemson, by far the best two teams in the country. But just amazing with everything that happened with Alabama. We got to look at that because, yes, we always talk about winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators. And congratulations and my hat's off to the Clemson Tigers for getting that win. Dabo Sweeney, two national championships, which is something Coach Fulmer didn't get and so many other coaches who only got one. Bob Stoops over at Oklahoma. The list just goes on and on of how many only got one. He's got two. And that's just amazing for Tabo Sweeney with his aw shucks attitude. He's a damn good coach, a damn good recruiter, and he's got things rolling there. Clemson could be the next one. Let's not shovel dirt on Alabama just yet. Every team has a bad night. Sometimes it's when all the lights are on and everybody's watching. But I'm not one here to say, oh, there's a paradigm shift immediately in college football. These teams have played four times in the postseason. It's split two to two. We're going to have to see. If they meet next year, we'll have to judge for ourselves at that point. But Alabama, I don't think, is going anywhere. Yeah, they're losing a lot of talent, but they've still, of course, got enough parade All-Americans to have a parade every freaking year. So just hold your horses on shoveling dirt on Alabama. But so many things were un-Nick Saban-like with this team. I mean... First of all, six national championships in 10 years would have been amazing for Alabama anyway. That would have been just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing what he's been able to do, Nick Saban's been able to do there anyway as a modern-day coach. But you look at, they had a 15-point halftime deficit, which is the largest the Tide has ever had under Nick Saban. And then when they got in the third quarter, they had that fake field goal, which just looked off. It was just a bad call. And by the way, Clemson... I don't think they took their regular defense off the field for that. I think they knew it was coming or were pretty damn sure it was coming. So you might want to have someone call timeout or something there. I know Alabama's kicking is shaky, but don't run a fake there. Run Just run your offense out for crying out loud. So you had that. Uh, and then after that fake field goal, you know, Lawrence, he faced down just pass rush and got that pass. 
out to Ross, uh, who was just alone because Savion Smith went down with a leg injury for Alabama. So just when you look at everything that happened, Clemson, they did everything right, and Alabama weirdly did so many things wrong. I mean, they couldn't do anything in the red zone. Again, that special teams mishap. And they let Clemson go 10 for 15 on third down. So all of that adding up to Clemson winning a national championship. So it's great to see. I like it as a Tennessee fan. It's at least some orange won a national championship for crying out loud. But when you look at it again as a Tennessee fan, I don't want Alabama winning national championships. Yes, it's fine to have SEC pride. And I'm fine with saying my conference is the best in the world but I'm never rooting for Alabama in anything like this. Are you kidding me? It's not happening. So I'm happy they lost because I, like a lot of the people here in college football, kind of would like to see Alabama be humbled a little bit. And I think they were humbled. Now we're going to see next season how they rebound. Again, they've got all these recruits coming in. They've got plenty of elite players. Tua still going to be there. So Alabama's going to be just fine. We'll see what happens going into next season. But for this one, it's Clemson's night. Enjoy the win. Keep it going and just enjoy it. I like having at least... It's great, yes, to have a big power that everybody's gunning for, but I like having another power that can stand there and punch them in the face. I, yes, it's the fourth time they've met in a championship setting. They've met in the semifinals, and now they've met in the final three years, too. So... Yes, people might be getting sick of it. I love it. The fact that they keep meeting each other and having these types of games. The first two games were just wonderfully awesome games. And then this this one just turned into a blowout. So we'll see what happens going into the 2019 season. But hey, congratulations to Clemson and Dabo Sweeney getting his second national championship. They're going to be partying in Death Valley for a long time long time with this one just an emphatic win and all the postseason games when you look at the two college football semifinals in the final none of them were close so you can always make the case yeah there needs to be more teams but not this season you had one team stand tall at 15 and 0 and it was the Clemson Tigers so congratulations again to them on winning the 2018 national championship in college football and that's going to wrap up this college football season of course we're not going to go too far away from it here on modern day gladiators recruiting is we've already had the december signing period and of course we're going to have the stuff in february and then there's spring practice so college football will always be around somewhere on modern day gladiators but let's talk about the pros here in the second part as the wild card round got underway this past weekend and you if you looked at my picks on the modern day gladiators facebook page i got one I'll take one. Bad that I just completely airballed on the other three. But when you look at everything, you look at the AFC, you start with the Colts and the Texans. I thought the Texans were going to do much better at home. But Andrew Luck, with that experience, it's great to see Andrew Luck back. And now they finally have an offensive line for him. The Colts jumping out to a 21-0 lead, and the Texans just were never able to get on track. So... Hats off to the Colts as they move on to the next round. And then you look at the Chargers and the Ravens. I thought the Ravens were going to have an advantage being at home. I did think the Chargers were going to have an advantage of being able now to see Lamar Jackson a second time because Lamar Jackson and the Ravens went to Los Angeles to beat the Chargers a few weeks ago. 
but now the Chargers were able to come and return the favor. The Chargers did something really unique and I thought did a great job of keeping Lamar Jackson in check by going out there and pretty much getting rid of their linebackers. They had their defensive line and then they put nothing but seven defensive backs at a lot of point out there to stop Lamar Jackson and be able to run with him if he got loose. So I think that was a really good decision. They gambled on it, and it turned out really well. I mean, they jumped out to a big lead. Baltimore was able to rally and cut it and make it at least have some drama at the end of it. But other than that, it was all Chargers for the most part. I was surprised that Joe Flacco did not get into the game, but... They stuck with Lamar Jackson. He's going to be the guy. Joe Flacco, I think, at this point, is probably done in Baltimore. He's probably going to go somewhere else. Maybe Jacksonville. I don't know. I have no idea. We'll find out about that in the weeks to come. But the fact that uh, the Chargers did so well, and it's going to set them up for a great matchup, and we'll, of course, talk about all that stuff coming up in the next little bit. But let's talk about the other games. Let's go over to the NFC where you've got the Cowboys erasing so many doubts in the playoffs as they beat the Seahawks 24-22. The Cowboys 8-1 in their last nine games, which has been great. The Colts are on fire as well. you got these hot teams going in and getting wins in the wild card, and now look out in the divisional round. But the Cowboys 8-1, and they just ran the ball. Ezekiel held... Elliott is a hoss. He knows how to run that ball. I was going with the Seahawks in this one because personally, I thought I had faith in the Seahawks and confidence in them. They've been here before. The Cowboys, I had no faith in them with playoff history. They haven't been to a championship game since 1995 when I was 12, I think was the last time they were in the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl. So you have that one. I'm really surprised that they were able to run the ball so well, even though they have been all season, but I thought the Seahawks' defense was going to be ready for that. But their defense, a lot worse than I thought it was, uh, especially against the run, and we'll see what happens with them in the second round. But then the one I did finally get right, and I was very proud of myself, I guess I can pat myself a little bit on the back for this one, was the Philadelphia Eagles going into Chicago and beating the Bears in a great game, 16-15. to Just a great classic old-school NFC battle. Of course, they kept making reference to the Fog Bowl that happened back in 1989 between these two teams when Fog came in in the second quarter and nobody could see anything. That was always a very interesting thing. But Nick Foles, I tell you, he might not be the best regular season quarterback, but he has been a damn fine postseason guy these last two years. Of course, they won the Super Bowl last year behind him as quarterback when Carson Wentz went down with an injury. And now he made the comeback. He led the game-winning touchdown drive, scoring on a fourth down with a minute left. You got to feel for the Bears kicker when it comes to it getting doinked. But he had been doinking kicks apparently all season long. Yes, it was tipped, so they've ruled, they've changed the stat to say that it was blocked. But still... That's a kick you got to make as an NFL kicker. You got to get the ball up, you got to get it over the blockers, and you got to put that one through the uprights. I mean, now 48 to 51 yard kicks are almost automatic for so many kickers in this league. So that's something that the Bears are going to have to live with. But again, I went with the Eagles in this one because they're the champs, they made it into the playoffs. Yes, they're the sixth seed. Yes, they're the wild card, but they're coming in hot. 
and the Bears have not been in the postseason in a while, and I don't know how many of them really had playoff experience. The Eagles are like, we've been here, we're the champs, and it's tough, no matter what sport you're in, to go in and knock out the champ when they can defend their title like that. So that's why I went with the Eagles, and I was right. It was just a little bit away. (laughs) If that ball was a quarter of an inch one way, it was going to be good, and I would have been wrong on that one, but... I feel for Cody Parkey, again, the Bears kicker, but uh, he missed it. And now the Bears are staying home and the Eagles are moving on. Let's take a look at the divisional rounds here in the NFL as we wrap up this first segment. These could be really good. Starting in the AFC, the Colts coming in as the sixth seed against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs have been great all season long. They are the one seed. They've got the home field advantage. ESPN, they're football power index projection has Kansas City with a 71.7% chance to win. However, the Colts, they're coming in hot. They've been playing great football for the second half of the season. You know, if Marlon Mack can keep running the ball like he is, and Andrew Luck, again, an experienced quarterback, has not been to a Super Bowl, but he is a playoff savvy quarterback he's been there before he has an offensive line to protect him so they're coming in with nothing to lose they've got all these expectations the Chiefs haven't won a home playoff game I think since Marty Schottenheimer and Joe Montana was their quarterback that's how long ago that was I think 1993 I was 10 so just think of that so you look at those things and you got to think, I mean, so much of this, yes, favors the Chiefs. They've got that great offense. They've got all the momentum. They've got Mahomes and Hill and all these guys ready to make some noise. But the Colts are coming in. I'm still going to pick the Chiefs, but it would not surprise me at all if the Indianapolis Colts win this game based on just history of, again, the experience that Andrew Luck has there in the playoffs, plus the fact that the Chiefs have just not had a great playoff record every time they're in. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs, but I'm doing it with a lot of trepidation right now as we pick it. That might change going into the week. Stay tuned, of course, to the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page and me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. might change that pick, but we'll see. But as of right now, as we record this on a Tuesday night, I'm going with the Chiefs. The other AFC playoff game, this one on Sunday, the Los Angeles Chargers traveling all the way back into the Eastern time zone to play the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. You look again, everybody keeps saying, even though the Patriots won their division again and they do have home field in this matchup, that they're just still not the same take charge and killer instinct Patriots that we've seen. I still don't see that. I've got the Patriots getting the win in this one. They have, according to ESPN FPI projection, they've got a 62.1% chance of winning. I'm going to go with them because, again, I'm going to keep picking the Patriots at this point, especially to get at least to get to the Super Bowl pretty much all the time until someone just knocks them off. You got to roll with the Patriots. Do I think the Chargers can go in and Phillip Rivers can erase so many playoff just demons with going into Gillette Stadium now and getting a win? Absolutely. That would be great for them. And I think it would be great for Phillip Rivers, who I think is a very underrated quarterback when it comes to everything he's accomplished, especially in the regular season. But he's been bad in the postseason. 
if they're able to just go in there again and handle business and shock the Patriots, I think they can do it. Again, I'm picking the Patriots, but I'm doing it with a lot of trepidation again. I think the Patriots are going to win, but I would not be surprised at all if the Chargers get the win in this one and win another one on the road and just keep on winning. So there you have it. I like the home teams in the AFC, but with a lot of trepidation in that one. Moving over to the NFC, when you look at what we've got going on there, you've got, of course, the Cowboys at the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going at this point, I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Yeah, the Rams, according to ESPN FPI, have a 76% chance of winning, but the Rams do not do great rushing or uh, on rushing defense, rather, and the Cowboys are really, really good at running the football. I think that's a big factor right here. Ezekiel Elliott has been on fire. I'm going to go with them. I don't think the Rams are completely ready for prime time. I don't really think the Cowboys are either. I think the winner of the other playoff game is going to beat them and go to the Super Bowl. But I still have the Cowboys getting the win and getting to the NFC Championship game. I have them beating the Rams, even though the Rams have had a great regular season. I like the Cowboys in this one because, again, they're able to run the football, and the Rams have a tough time stopping it. So that's my factor. I've got them getting a road playoff win and advancing to the championship game. Speaking of that championship game, you, on the other side, is it's going to be the Eagles and the Saints. The Saints have had, again, another phenomenal and great season, and it is a tough place to play inside that Superdome. It makes a lot of noise when that crowd is jacked. Alvin Kamara loved him here at Tennessee. He has been awesome in New Orleans as well. And Drew Brees, of course, has been just Mr. Reliable and just totally reeked of awesomeness for his whole career. And the Eagles coming in again, they've got nothing to lose. Yeah, they're the champs, but they're the sixth seed. As much as I love what the Eagles have done and they have been great champs and were able to get that upset win in Chicago, I'm going with the Saints. I love their home field advantage. I like what they do on offense. They do play enough defense. ESPN FPI projections got New Orleans at a 77% chance to win. I'm going to roll with that one. But again, it's one of these where I'm not going to be surprised if the Eagles knock it off. All these picks, I feel pretty competent in it. Yes, I do have some trepidation, but I feel confident in my picks. If I didn't, I wouldn't be making picks here on a podcast, but it would not surprise me if any of these other, if the teams I picked against came up and won any of these games. So there you have it. That's my picks. We'll see how I did as we break down what happened in the divisional round and talk about championship stuff next week on Modern Day Gladiators. But right now, we're going to take a break as we wrap up the main segment. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We'll be back with Shibbles and Bits and Pro Wrestling right after this. You are listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network.
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in here to Modern Day Gladiators, as always, on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Of course, your continuing ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. And of course, you hear the Pink Panther theme. That means it's time to hit up Shibbles and Bits. And of course, we start here on good old Rocky Top, as it has been a pretty good week for Tennessee, both on the hardwood and on the football field. We'll get into that here in just a sec. Of course, let's first talk with the Vols on the hardcourt as the number three ranked Tennessee men's basketball team opened up SEC play pretty much the best way you possibly could. As Tennessee first, they have their home opener in SEC play against Georgia over the weekend and blow out Georgia by 46 points, 90 250. Now again, Georgia going through a transition with a new coach, what they've got with Tom Crean, who of course got Marquette to a Final Four back in the day. So I still think Georgia will be on the way back. They're not where they need to be, but still a 46-point beating is a pretty bad drubbing there that Tennessee gave the Bulldogs. Jordan Bowden, 20 points. You had uh, Grant Williams with 18, Admiral Schofield with 18. It was also great to have Lamonte Turner back. He's had some shoulder problems, missed the last six games. You know he's wanted to be out there, and it looks like he's finally going to get some playing time. So awesome to see that. A great atmosphere in a sold-out Thompson Bowling Arena. And I tell you, Thompson Bowling Arena, when it is full and rocking, it is one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. So that was an awesome sight to see. And then Tennessee travels on the road and avenges one of their losses that they had last season when they lost just a barroom brawl rock fight against Missouri. Of course, former Tennessee coach Conzo Martin is there. Definitely not the prettiest version of basketball they play at Mizzou, but it can be effective, especially against higher, more talented teams. And that's what Conzo Martin was able to do last season. But Tennessee was able to avenge that loss and win 87-63 to on the road. Tennessee was behind by nine, which was the largest deficit. They had it against Gonzaga. Uh, playing the number one ranked Gonzaga uh, Bulldogs back in the day. Uh, and they were down nine there. They were also down to Missouri nine, and the crowd was in it. And then Tennessee just went on a 24-4 to run with none of the scoring in that run to take the lead at halftime by Admiral Schofield or Grant Williams. They only had three points combined in the first half, and that was all from Admiral Schofield. So Tennessee hopping in there and getting some great minutes and some great effort from everybody else, which is great to see, especially in a road win like that. I mean, you look at Jordan Bowden, again, 20 points. Jordan Bone, 17 points, has become a great point guard. Admiral Schofield did end up with 16 points, 9 rebounds, but it took him a while to get going. And then Grant Williams with 4 points. But the real story this week, and he's been my Tennessee player of the week, this week has been Kyle Alexander, the senior from Canada, 6'11". He's been a work in progress for a long time, but it is paying off benefits here in his senior year. Against Georgia, a double-double, 12 points, 14 rebounds, and he came up huge on the road against Missouri, 14 points, 17 rebounds, a career high there for Kyle Alexander. So that has been awesome to see. I love his development, and as he continues to get better going forward, and all of these other guys, yes, we can do great things with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield leading the way. It has been proven 
that that can happen. But when you've got everybody else, when you've got the Jordans, Bowden and Bone contributing, and of course Kyle Alexander with these double-doubles, that is awesome. And I can't wait to see what that's going to bring to the table as Tennessee goes forward. And this week... Not going to get any easier in SEC play. On Saturday, the Vols travel to Gainesville to face those Florida Gators. And again, that's a tough place to play down there. So we'll see how Tennessee can rebound. Again, these road wins in the SEC, this is big when it comes to keep winning. If you want to win and defend your regular season championship, Tennessee needs to get these road wins and also to help them maybe get their first ever number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, they travel back home to Thompson Bowling Arena and face Arkansas on Tuesday. So a good week there for the Vols. The Lady Vols have had a little bit of a rough patch. Yes, they beat Auburn last week to open up SEC play, but over the weekend they played Missouri at home and Tennessee loses to Missouri at home. Another one of these head-scratching games that and again, you hate to compare Holly Warlick to Pat Summit because no one's Pat Summit when it comes to coaching, but Coach Summit would take a very talented, very good team like Missouri and just blow them out of the water. It wouldn't even be close, especially at home. But Sophie Cunningham from Missouri was able to sit back, be patient, knock down three-pointers, and be a huge factor in that game. She had 20 points for Mizzou, and they were able to just keep the lead against Tennessee. Tennessee had a shot to win it at the end, but just could not get it done. So, again, the Lady Vols in these crosswords, they play great against a lot of these teams that are top caliber teams that Tennessee has faced historically and done very well against but in the SEC now these games you're supposed to win and win big especially at home and Tennessee's just not getting it done we'll see what happens tonight in Thompson Bowling Arena as we record this as the Lady Vols take on 16th ranked Kentucky in Thompson Bowling Arena so check that one out if you can it should be on the SEC Network, But the Lady Vols, again, if they're going to make a run and finally get back to the Elite Eight and Final Fours where they're supposed to be as the Lady Vols, they're going to have to win these games that they're definitely supposed to win and get it done. Meanwhile, on the Tennessee football field, Tennessee, the long wait is over. 40 days have passed since Tennessee's had an offensive coordinator, and we've got one, and he's an old one. Jim Chaney uh, was offensive coordinator with Lane Kiffin here for the one year Kiffin was here, and then he continued to be OC under Derek Dooley, and he is returning to Knoxville as offensive coordinator, and that is good news for Vol fans, I think. You know, we were wondering who are we going to get. Jim Chaney from Georgia, he had spent uh, time at Arkansas, time at Pitt, and now time at Georgia, and that's where we've pretty much poached him from. because he was going to stay offensive coordinator in Georgia. But it looks like uh, Coach Pruitt went out and got himself a very good offensive coordinator, and everybody seems to really like this hire here on Rocky Top. I do as well. I think the offensive schemes that he can do fits. It's more of a run-oriented play-action passing attack, which also fits, I think, what Jeremy Pruitt is wanting to do. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited to see where we go with this. I think it can help with recruiting as well. So we'll see. I like it. I'm excited about it. And I feel a lot better uh, with who we have as offensive coordinator now than I was during the regular season with Tyson Helton. So we'll see how that goes. Of course, spring practice, we'll maybe see some of these new wrinkles and things 
during the orange and white game. Who knows? Of course, you don't want to reveal too much in spring practice, but I'm excited to see. Now, again, what people have talked about is, yes, Georgia's had some great rushing attacks these past few seasons. Part of that, though, is they've got, they had, of course, guys who are now Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle who are in the NFL right now, and Swift and Holyfield could very well be NFL backs, plus plenty of offensive linemen on that Georgia team are also going to be in the NFL. So consider that, where Tennessee still needs to get a solid offensive line and get more running backs that are up there behind Chandler. So just keep that in mind as we go forward with this. But I think if Cheney's here for the long haul with Pruitt, I think they could do some really good things. So looking forward to that. But that's going to wrap up everything going on here on Rocky Top. Let's move into the other bits of shibbles and bits. And the first big news happened over the weekend, uh, a bright spot on a very sad story. Uh, Texans wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, he decided he took Saturday's game check for the, that he got for the playoffs, which I believe was about $29,000. And he is donating it to the funeral expenses for Jasmine Barnes, the seven-year-old girl who was killed Sunday in a needless drive-by shooting in Houston. That was Sunday a week ago. So, again, just something that the Texans seem to do very well. J.J. Watt, of course, standing tall in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. DeAndre Hopkins has been doing some really good stuff as well so this is something really good to see and it does have a bright spot jasmine barnes's funeral i believe was yesterday as of this recording so again deandre hopkins stepping up donating twenty nine thousand dollar playoff check to help pay for funeral costs so that is just really good things to hear there moving on to other college football of course we talked about the national championship when it came to clemson winning the national championship and of course we honor winners here on modern day gladiators and hats off to north dakota state winning yet another fcs national championship a seventh national championship which has just been amazing what a run the bison have had there in north dakota state it has been wonderful, and they won 38-24 to over Eastern Washington in the championship game held in Frisco, Texas over the weekend. 15-0, they've been number one all season long, and it has just been wonderful to hear. And uh, Easton Stick, one of their big leaders on the team, 319 total yards and five touchdowns accounted for. Uh, and they had been tied with Georgia Southern for the most titles in FCS history with six. Now they've got seven. I would love to see North Dakota State somehow maybe make their way into Division One. They've just got a great program down there, and that's why their coaches keep coming and going. But congratulations to the Bison of North Dakota State getting another FCS national championship. Now, one of the big stories I wanted to talk about here as well in Shibbles and Bits is the story of Miori Davenport. She, for those of you who don't know, she was a uh, senior for the uh, Charles Henderson High School in Troy, Alabama. She had just helped them win a national, uh, or I'm sorry, state title, rather, for the first time ever in school history last year as a junior. She is a Rutgers recruit. She's about the 15th ranked recruit, according to Hoops Girls, which is the top recruiting service for women's basketball. And what ended up happening was she also helped USA Basketball win the FIBA uh, Under-18 World Cup Tournament. And what ended up happening was uh, there was a stipend check of $857.20 sent to Davenport by USA Basketball. 
and because of, again, what she was able to do to help the team back in August, USA Basketball made an error because they were not supposed to give her a stipend check for amateurism and everything. USA Basketball does routinely pay players small amounts during summer programs to help them recover costs, but this was too much of an amount of money, according to the rules. They were aware of the error, and that then... uh, Davenport did then return the money. She never spent it. She gave it back. They made these rulings and everything. But the Alabama High School State Athletics Association has said, nope, she is ineligible. Which, again, is one of these things that drives me nuts. Again, Henderson had led her team to the first state title in program history, averaging 18.2 points, 12 rebounds, 5 blocks, and almost 2 persist two assists a game. So again, and she's helped USA basketball in the U18. This is where it just drives me nuts because the NCAA allows uh, them to pay athletes who have no remaining high school eligibility for helping represent Team USA. But then when you've got these players who are not, it's just insane. Now this payment will not impact Davport's eligibility at Rutgers. She's just now ineligible for her senior season to play in high school. But a lot of us know that a lot of these players, they live for that. These high school girls, a lot of them, they've played basketball with since they were little kids in these programs. And the fact that they're coming in, the money was returned. They didn't realize it was too much. It was an error on USA Basketball's part. This was not an error on Davenport's part. It was an error on USA Basketball. And the fact that they're sticking by this ruling, not making exceptions, there are exceptions to rules. Rules are there mostly to help and keep that 1% who are just going to be schmucks and jerks about everything, keep them in line, really, when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Most of us are fine. We live day by day. You can have exceptions to these rules. You can make judgments on this. But the fact that they're sticking by her being ineligible just really drives me nuts. And again, we've talked about this with the NCAA not letting people really even make money off their likeness, which I think we need to have too. I don't believe that the NCAA has to pay students because they are getting to go to school on scholarship. But I think if these players on all levels and every sport wants to have a YouTube show or make an appearance at a bowling alley or a car dealership and sign autographs and things like that. I think they should be able to make money that way because I could do that as a non-athlete student. I'm going for, say, a broadcasting scholarship at UT, and then I get a job outside of that and make money based on certain things. I can still make money off my likeness there. So that's what really bothers me when it comes to these rulings. It was a mistake. It was fixed. It was rectified. The money was returned. But they're still just saying, nope, you can't play basketball and help your team. Which just, again, bothers me. Rules need to be fixed. They need to be changed. There needs to be exceptions to rules. The Alabama State High School Athletic Association, or whatever their uh, governing body is, they need to step up and make the right call here and let this girl play her senior season. It's not going to affect her college eligibility at all. So stand tall, make the right decision, and right this wrong out there in Alabama. Thank you very much. Moving on to some lighter notes here to wrap up shibbles and bits. This is called Don't Try and Mess with Martial Artists when it comes to breaking the law. The first one comes uh, from Brazilian UFC fighter 
uh, Pollyanna Viana, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, over the weekend, she was uh, waiting for a rideshare in Rio de Janeiro, according to police reports, uh, this past weekend, when a suspicious man approached and demanded her phone. Viana said she hit the man with two punches and a kick. Uh, she also said she choked the would-be thief and held him until authorities arrived. Uh, he asked me the time I said it, and I saw he wasn't going to leave, so I already moved and put my cell phone in my waist. And then he said, give me the phone. Don't try to react because I'm armed. And he put his hand over a gun. You can't see me use the air quotes, but a gun. But I realized it was too soft. Essentially, it was a cardboard gun. So she looked down and saw it was being covered. And then I guess she saw the trigger or I'm sorry, the the uh, the barrel of the gun kind of bend, which means that's not a real gun. It's not even a 3D printed gun at this point. It's just a fake gun. So, so she thought if it's a gun, he won't have time to draw it. But she realized it wasn't even a real gun. Stood up. Threw two punches and a kick, he fell, and I caught him in a rear naked choke. Then I sat him down in the same place before and said, now we'll wait for the police, which was wonderful. The guy was arrested. You can check on Twitter if you follow Dana White, uh, the president of the UFC. He's got a picture of her and then a picture of him. He's been bloodied, battered, his eyes all swollen up. This is just a bad idea. Don't, don't mess with people like that. It was wonderful. Uh, according to MMA Junkie, the injured man was taken to a medical facility and Viana has filed a police report. After immobilizing the man, Viana learned again officially that the gun in possession was actually a cardboard cutout. Uh, she's got a one-on-one -one record so far in UFC, did not suffer any injuries during this incident, uh, does not currently have a fight scheduled, but uh, if I'm Dana White, I'm scheduling her for a fight just because of this publicity to get her out there and do that. Then, on another note, what is going on with people trying to deal with mess with martial artists in the illegal way? Because this happened uh, over the weekend as well. This happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. A man tried to kidnap a woman uh, by forcing her into his car, again, in Charlotte, North Carolina. She breaks free and then runs into a business pleading for help. That business was a karate studio. Uh, you can already see how this is going to end. If you haven't seen it from the first story, I probably buried the lead with this, but this was awesome because what happened was a uh, Thursday outside the, uh, the Bushikin Karate Charlotte Dojo, according to CNN affiliate uh, WSOC, and the head instructor, Randall Ephraim. Uh, cops said the man tried to force a woman in his vehicle near the karate school. And uh, Ephraim, the karate instructor, told CNN he was straightening up when the woman rushed inside the studio. And this is Ephraim saying, uh, There were still some kids in the dojo being picked up by parents and a couple of adult students cleaning up when a young lady came through the doors and stated that someone was trying to harm her. Shortly afterward, a big male entered the building. Not knowing what I wanted, I assumed he was inquiring about classes. I asked how I could assist him, and he stated he was there for the lady. Uh, she insisted she did not know him and tried to kidnap her. Ephraim then said he asked the man to leave because in many cases like this, I'm going to believe a woman coming in looking very panicked. I'm going to go with this or let the authorities straighten that out. Uh, he asked the man to leave but stated he was not going anywhere bad idea. Then he tried to force himself 
further into the dojo, aggressively punching and swinging. And then Ephraim very calmly says, I went into action defending myself and got him out of the dojo. Once outside, he attempted to attack again and was dealt with accordingly. In other words, they whooped his ass, which is pretty much a great way of saying, yep, yeah, he was dealt with accordingly. Or we beat the tar out of him. This is amazing. Woman runs into a karate studio. This guy runs in demanding to see him, looks around, sees black belts everywhere and thinks, oh no, I can take all of these people without any type of weapon at all. I can just take these guys. I'm, I'm invincible. Bad idea, dude. And this is amazing too. After that, the suspect then also tried to assault police officers before he was arrested. So this guy was not going to quit. It's like that guy's like, dude, stay down. You're done. You've lost. Good day to you, sir. I say good day. But he was taken to the hospital on a stretcher because, again, don't mess with martial artists when you're trying to break the law in front of them. That's a bad idea. It's got bad idea written all over it. So... It was just amazing, and I am glad I got to tell those stories to you here on Modern Day Gladiators. These warriors here, uh, MMA fighters, karate instructors, truly are Modern Day Gladiators, and I tip the cap to you. To wrap up our segment here, this wraps up Shibbles and Bits, but of course, we're not going to wrap up another awesome, awesome show without talking some pro wrestling. And there's been some big pro wrestling news around the world, not even really resulting with the, including the WWE but look at this. Wrestle Kingdom 13 happened, and it was amazing. It was one of the best cards I have ever seen. You look even at just at the two co-main events. Tetsuya Naito defeating Chris Jericho for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship in a no-DQ match. That was a thing of beauty. Jericho has been awesome. Tetsuya Naito finally getting the win over Jericho and winning back that Intercontinental title that he has despised. For a lot of reasons I won't go into, but now he loves having the belt with him. So that was amazing. The main event, Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, was one of the best main events I have seen. I've talked about Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada, the two out of three falls match at Dominion they had last year. One of the best matches I have ever seen in my life. This one is another maybe top 10 match. This was amazing to see. It was a great main event, definitely five stars all around on my rating scale, and it was amazing. And Tanahashi wins the IWGP Heavyweight Championship for the eighth time in his history. So this has been great. Again, a beautiful, wonderful 40-minute main event by two guys who know how to play and know how to fight and know how to live up to the billing and just performed outstanding. But the card, top to bottom, you had Will Ospreay defeating Kota Ibushi for the never open weight title. That opened the card. That was a great match. You had uh, the British Heavyweight Championship between Tomohiro Ishii and you know it, it just and all the great stuff that happened in that match. Oh my goodness, just amazing stuff where. Ishii just was tapped out. Oh my goodness. Just amazing stuff. <laughs> I can't believe what happened there. And then you, of course, have the IWGP Tag Team Championship won by Los Inglenables de Japón, where you had Evil and Sonata. And again, just matches all around. Kushida dropping his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship 
in another great match. It was amazing. Just great stuff all around. I can't wait to see what happens with New Japan because some big news has happened here when it comes to what's going on. There's always big contract news happening after Wrestle Kingdom because the WWE sees all these things and says, hey, we'd like to poach some of these guys. So we're going to see what happens. Kushida, again, the ace of the uh, junior heavyweight division in New Japan, has now said he is leaving New Japan. Many people think he's going to the WWE, so we'll see where that goes. They've announced his last match will be against heavyweight champion Hiroshi Tanahashi at the end of January, right before his contract is up. And Kenny Omega, probably the greatest wrestler on the planet right now, has stated that he is also leaving New Japan. We don't know where he's going to go, but one of the options could be, of course, the WWE. There's been reports that he has been offered upwards of $20 million, a $20 million contract to leave. So you'll see what happens with that. But one of the other options that they're going to have is all elite wrestling. The Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes have combined with the Khan family. Again, the Khans own uh, Fulham FC there in England, one of the uh, Premier League teams, and of course they also own the Jacksonville Jaguars. Father Khan is being the big financier behind this, but his son, uh, I believe Tony Khan, is the one who's the big wrestling fan but also has the idea for this promotion. So they've come together, of course, the Bucks, and Cody and then Brandy Rhodes is going to head the women's division where they've stated that women are going to be paid equally, which is a great thing there. Also, they've made some big things with some of the talent that they have signed through all of this. MJA is going to be there. Also, of course, the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes are there. Adam Hangman Page is, of course, going to be a part of this. And also, some surprises, you had uh, Pac, also known as Neville, back in the WWE. He is coming in as well. And the big surprise, of course, was Chris Jericho signing a contract with All Elite Wrestling. Chris Jericho, of course, just had that great match with New Japan, has been wrestling there. He, of course, financed his own independent crews. This is all, of course, stemming from All In that the Bucks and Cody Rhodes did as well. So when you think of all of this awesomeness that has been going on in wrestling, this is great. And there's money behind this. You've got billions of dollars from the WWE. And now you've got a billionaire and his family also with a lot of money putting it behind some wrestling. So again, this is all new. They have announced that the next uh, essentially sequel to All In, the first big event that All Elite Wrestling will be having is happening May 24th. That pay-per-view is called Double or Nothing to go in with All In, so I'm very excited about that, and it's going to be wonderful to see, and all of this great stuff going there. Very excited. It's very bright future for wrestling. There is money behind this. I mean, you even look at what New Japan has announced what they're going to be doing in 2019. You look at, they've got three shows in America that they've got coming up in the next few months. You've got one in Los Angeles, one in Charlotte, and also they just announced one in early February in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's going to be amazing. The start of the G1 Climax, the best tournament you have every year in wrestling, is going to be happening the first night of it if this round-robin tournament is happening in Dallas, Texas, at the American Airlines Arena. They're going to go, and I believe they're uh, in August, they're having a big event there 
in uh, in England, in London, I believe. It's like a 7,500-seat arena that they're going to have a show in. And now they're doing two nights in the Tokyo Dome in 2020, January 14th, Wrestle Kingdom. And then I, I don't know if they're going to have Wrestle Kingdom be now over two nights or are they having New Year's Dash also taking place January 5th in the Tokyo Dome. New Year's Dash is their raw after pretty much their raw after mania that the WWE has. So all of this is just amazing. I can't wait and see what happens with all these other federations. Of course, the WWE is going to be there. They've got their new deals are going to kick in in October as SmackDown heads to Fox. So lots of great stuff there. The WWE, it was more just of the same. The biggest news coming out, Daniel Bryan, a great promo to open SmackDown. So check that one out. That was amazing. And then, of course, Becky Lynch winning a a triple threat match with Charlotte Flair and Carmella to win officially the number one contender spot and challenge Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship at the Royal Rumble. But the big news, of course, out of the WWE was over the past week, uh, they had their tributes to the late Mean Gene Okerlund. Many of you, of course, my age who grew up with rock and wrestling and even through the 90s with WCW and even before that when he was with the AWA and just many other organizations. He was the best backstage interviewer and commentator. Just that guy, you know, Hogan with his, you know, I'll tell you something, Mean Gene. Just He was just a staple of that, and you look at just the broadcasters from that era, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mean Gene Okerlund, they've all gone to that big wrestling ring in the sky, so you look at all of that, and it's just, again, it, it, he's going to be missed, he was a great voice, and he even had some new stuff with the WWE, story time on the WWE Network, is just a great animated adventures that they have with wrestlers telling great stories of things, and they animate everything that happened, it's fun, but then you have Mean Gene Okerlund providing the voiceover and the hosting duties for that, so he was not just gone from our thoughts at any time, he always popped in every once in a while, uh, and did cameo spots on old school nights and things like that, so Mean Gene will be missed, he was a great voice, and his voice of course will ring forever in the history of professional wrestling, but we'll miss him so, so very much. And I thank you guys for letting me talk a little wrestling. And of course, as always, thank you guys for listening to another great episode of Modern Day Gladiators. We'll be back next week with more stuff and, of course, more insanity, as always, in the world of sports and professional wrestling. But, of course, as always, please like, subscribe, share. We want to hear your thoughts about everything. Please comment. Follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. Check the Facebook page out for Modern Day Gladiators. All of that great stuff. But until then, as always, stay hard, stay hungry. Too sweet. I love you guys. We'll see you next time.